listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. And you might expect me this morning to tell you to turn to Romans, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, We're going to hit pause for just a couple of weeks uh, to talk about this season of Advent. And we've done several things over the last uh, four or five years. We've looked at the meals that Jesus shared with different people, like Zacchaeus and Peter and Matthew. We've looked at the women in Jesus' genealogy, and we talked about, even during Advent, women like Bathsheba and Rahab, Ruth and Mary. Last year we talked about the gift, and this is a season where that is a big part of what we do. And we saw how Jesus was a gift to Mary and the wise men and even to us. But this year we are going to look at the idea of Christmas from a little bit different perspective and not an earthly one. What I want us to do, I want us to kind of peel back the curtain and I want us to see heaven or Christmas from heaven's point of view. And behind this scene, what you'll find out is all of the meaning that is wrapped up in this little baby. Because that's what Christmas is. Christmas is about celebrating a baby. A baby that changed the world. And it began when an angel told Mary about the baby. And then Mary, she could not comprehend her situation having the baby. And what was Joseph's problem with Mary? It was the baby. An angel then tells Joseph to raise the baby. A manger is the birthplace, an unusual one for this baby. The shepherds came to worship, not Mary and Joseph, but a baby. The wise men followed a star to find this little baby. And then on the other side, Herod is the one that wants to kill the baby. So Christmas is about the baby that came to change the world. So over the next three Sundays, we're going to answer three questions. One question will be, why was this baby born? We'll see who this baby is and what does this baby want or desire. And the great news is there's a New Testament book that talks about and answers all three of these questions. And it isn't a book that you think about around Christmas time. So I want to invite you to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians is where we're going to spend just a few weeks. But I want you to have some background because it's important in understanding really what Paul is going to say. So the first thing is this, is that Colossae sits about a hundred miles east of the major city of Ephesus where Paul is. It's about 60 years after the birth of the baby that we celebrate during Advent. And Paul is in Ephesus, and he's preaching, and he's teaching, and a man travels all the way from Colossae to hear this man Paul preach, named Epaphras. He hears this news that he's never heard before, and faith is birth, and he comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we're not for sure what this man had been doing. We're not for sure about his household. There's just a lot we're not given, but he goes back home. And what does he do? He tells his family. They then tell their neighbors. And those neighbors begin telling those people, before long, Epaphras is here, and all of a sudden, he's got a group of people that are gathering together 
and he's leading a church. Well, a problem arises in this church, and I'll tell you what that is in just a moment. I'm sure he's sitting there going, I'm not for sure I wasn't qualified for this, because think about this. This isn't what he grew up thinking. Hey, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go get educated. I'm going to go get trained. It just happened to him. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't have a network of pastors to lean on. So he travels all the way back to Ephesus to talk to Paul. And Paul is going to write this letter to that church. And so here's what is happening in this church of Colossae. There's three groups that are in this church that are not getting along really well. You have one group that is like Epaphras where they came to faith in Jesus Christ. It is not by works. It's only by grace through faith that they inherit the gift of eternal life. Well, there's another group, a group known as the Gnostics. These are people that prided themselves on knowledge. In fact, they believed in this thing about uh, to be in the know about the deep spiritual things that other people could not understand. In other words, they would believe this. One of the things they believed that all matter was evil. So meaning anything that you could touch was evil. And that's going to be important for their understanding in this letter. But the one thing that came out of this group was a focus on angels. Now, there's a lot of study about it. I took a class in angelology, and there's a right way and a wrong way to look at this. But what happened is there was a group that came up out of the Gnostics that were Shema's. And what they would do is they would teach, and then they found a way to make money, and they would teach that you could get a blessing or protection from the angels. So they came up with ideas like trinkets and necklaces and rings. And if you would buy this, it would be a protector for your home or yourself from the evil spirits. And so that's group number two. Well, there's a third group. The third group are the Judaizers. And they taught that everyone should return back to living primarily by the law. They did not focus on grace. In fact, in their minds, faith in Jesus was not enough. It had to be faith plus works. And they still taught that you had to obey to earn your way to be righteous or to be reconciled to God. So there's this problem that's happening in Colossae when they're hearing of this message. They would take the story of Christmas and discount it because you think of a Gnostic. They're looking at this going, how in the world could God become flesh? If flesh is evil, then God could not take on flesh. Well, the Judaizers, since they saw obedience to the law, that's what mattered. They saw Jesus as one that simply broke their laws. Therefore, he could not be the Savior. So Paul is going to write to this church and answer these three questions. Why was the baby born? Who is the baby? And what does this baby desire? So this morning, we're going to tackle from Paul the very first one is, why was this baby born? So let's pray. Father, this morning we come before you and we are thankful for a stage full of children. And it is a blessing to have them in our church, to have them in our homes. Uh, And Lord, would you grant us what we need as parents and as a church to lead them well, uh, that they would grow up to know who you are to have a knowledge of your will for their lives, and that they would want to follow you no matter the cost. So thank you for this season that we can come before you, and we can set some time aside to truly focus on you sending your Son to take on flesh, to dwell among us, 
so that you could redeem us. So help us to keep that at the first of our hearts and minds, even today. Help us with this passage. Give us eyes to see truth, minds to understand it, hearts to hear it. And Lord, that we would walk away knowing why this baby was born. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So begin with me. Look at verse 1 with that background in mind. And it begins this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So Paul and Timothy are the ones sending this letter back to the church of Colossae, there in uh, to the church. And Paul identifies himself as an apostle. And this is important because an apostle had two characteristics or things about them that qualified them. One, you had to have seen the risen Lord Jesus. The second thing, you would perform miracles to authenticate or show the authority that you have as this role as an apostle. Not everyone could proclaim this. Well, Paul, even though he's not one of the original apostles, he did see the risen Lord, and he did perform miracles that authenticated his role as an apostle. And notice who he's writing to. Out of the three groups, he's going to pick one group that he's writing to in verse 2. He says, To the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from our God and Father. So he calls them saints, meaning those that are set apart, those that have been called, those that are holy for a unique purpose. And he calls them faithful. Even in the struggles, they are being faithful. They are being dedicated. They aren't wavering. He prays for grace and peace. And notice in verse 3 how what he's going to say about them. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And notice who he thanks in this. Man, this church has been written about for years and years. Uh, there's so much about this church. And notice who he thanks. He doesn't pat them on the back. He doesn't tell them how great of a job they're doing. He thanks God and he notifies that God is the cause of all goodness in their life. Everything they have, everything they've accomplished, everything they'll do, God is the cause of all the goodness in their lives. And then he's going to describe what that is in verse 4. He says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So they came to Christ in faith, and he's speaking now, I believe, with the Judaizers in mind. He says, you saints have come to Christ. You came in faith. It was your faith in Christ. It wasn't your works. And it's not even your faith plus your works. It is by faith when the gospel took hold of them. And then notice what happened. When they heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, and something then happened because of that, of the love that you have for all the saints. So from their, love, from their faith, Love happens. And then notice in verse 5 what springs, what comes up from their faith in love. Because of your hope laid up for you in heaven. So he says, because of the hope you have, there is a love that you have for other people in faith, faith in Christ. But notice what hope is. Hope here is not 
kind of this wishful thinking. You know, I hope it snows, or I hope I get this for Christmas, or I hope whatever it might be. Hope is not this wishful thinking. Biblical hope is, it's this inner confidence, this inner peace that a person can have in something that is promised that it will come to pass. It's this inner peace, this inner confidence that something promised is going to happen. And so notice what Paul has just done. He's talked about this triad that he loves to talk about. He loves to talk about faith, love, and hope. He does it in Corinthians, Thessalonians, Galatians, and even Romans. So here's an interesting way to think about this triad that that Paul loves to talk about. Faith is looking upward to God. Love is looking outward to others. And hope is looking forward to the future. So your faith, it rests only on the finished or the past work of Christ, nothing else. It isn't something you're going to go do. It isn't something you're going to achieve. Faith is resting in the finished and the past work of Jesus Christ. But then your love, it works in the present and not for you, but for other people. Man, we've got a great way for you to do that this week by helping us take these gifts and needs to families in our community. I've told them we'll take 10 boxes. I hope tomorrow morning I can tell them, hey, we'll take 30 or 40. we got some people that would take some time out of their schedule this week to deliver to a family. Uh, Something easy to do that we can work in the present for the good of others. And then hope is confidence in what God will do in the future. So your faith rests in the finish of the complete work of Jesus Christ. Your love works in the present for other people. And your hope is confidence in what God will do in the future. And notice where this hope is stored. It's not in your job. It's not in your family. It's not in your bank account. It's not in your intelligence. It's not in your dashing good looks. It's stored in heaven. So why would Paul say that? Well, I think for one, he wants you to know when you have hope, that is in Jesus Christ, how secure it is. Because hope is really something that's really hard to attain and it's even almost impossible to hold on to. Because anything you or I put our faith in, it can easily be taken away. So one, I think Paul is showing how secure the hope is that it's stored in heaven. The second reason is because Christ must be the essence of our hope. And that is where he is. So in Christ, we see God keeping his promises that he can be trusted. Our hope can be shored. But notice how this hope came to them at the end of verse 5 through 8. Of this, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit And increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and you understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. 
So their hope came to them through the gospel. Epaphras heard it from Paul. He brings this back home. He tells his family. They tell their neighbors. They tell theirs. They tell the people they work with, the people they go to school with. And eventually, Epaphras is the one that heard it, carried it to others. They told someone. They told someone. Till eventually, that message has hopefully reached you. So why was this baby born? The first reason? It was so that you could have hope. That Jesus left heaven. The baby came to give you a hope that cannot and will not ever disappoint you. And Paul writes to encourage the believers, the saints in Colossae, that the baby came that you can have hope. I know trouble is hard. I know going to church is difficult. But in all of this, you can have hope. But Paul's not finished. Look at verse 9. And so, or for this reason, for the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he prays that they would increase, they would have this abundance of spiritual wisdom and understanding. So now who's he talking to? He's talking to the Gnostics, those that prided themselves on knowledge of being in the know. And notice how much knowledge he prays for. You see, he prays that they would be filled, that they would be full, being, being complete in all the knowledge. But now it's where he's got them. And the reason for this knowledge is not for knowledge's sake. Look at verse 10 and 11. The reason I pray that you would be filled with all knowledge of this will, all wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, with all endurance and patience, with joy. So he says, I'm praying that you would be filled with knowledge, not so that you are the one that gets to know the hidden things or so that you have more and more knowledge. He prays that they would have knowledge so that their knowledge turns into a life that is pleasing to God. That they would then, notice, bear fruit... In every good work, and then notice, in increasing in the knowledge of God. Do you see the cycle? He prays that they would be filled with knowledge, and that through this filling of knowledge, that your life would be pleasing. And when your life is pleasing, what do you do? You begin to bear more fruit. And when your life bears more fruit in every good work, notice what it increases in. More knowledge. Then what should that knowledge turn into? It turns into a life that is more pleasing to God, which then bears more fruit, which is then going to create more knowledge and more understanding. And do you know when this cycle is complete? It's when you die or when Jesus comes back. That this is a cycle that should be repeated over and over and over again in a believer's life. So why did this baby come? To reveal God's perfect plan for your life. He came that this plan could be revealed 
that he'd prayed that they would come to more spiritual understanding so their life would be more pleasing. They would bear more fruit. And when that happened, they would have more knowledge to start that cycle over and over again. But Paul's not done. There's a third reason why this baby was born. In verse 12, he said, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. I imagine Epaphras being here in this church going, man, this, I didn't see this coming. This isn't what I signed up for. I'm not equipped for this. No one told me this was going to happen. I never got to go to seminary. I never got to learn under anyone else. He must feel absolutely, totally incompetent for leading this church in Colossae. Notice Paul writes to him. He says, I give thanks to God who has, past tense, qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I think many times we can feel that way, that incompetence, that unqualified. And it can be in our jobs. It can be in a relationship such as marriage. It can be in your parenting that we can often feel so unqualified or incompetent for so many things. But if there is something that should be at the top of that list, it should be feeling that we are qualified or competent to share in the eternal inheritance with the saints. And we should feel there's no way I'm qualified for that. But Paul writes him to tell, when you come to faith in Christ, it's already happened to you. And then verse 13. He has delivered us, notice past tense, from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So speaking of Romans, it's one of those things that's already not yet. For people that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, this is already a reality. But we have to wait to fully experience it. In whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So he says the baby came. He qualifies believers to be heirs with Christ. He comes to deliver them from the dominion of darkness. The baby was born to transfer them to the kingdom that is his. So the third reason why this baby was born was to name you as an heir to his kingdom. So why did the baby come? He came to give you hope. He came to reveal God's plan for your life. And he came to qualify your name to be an heir in his kingdom. And so what I want to do, I want to circle back to that very first reason for why this baby was born was to bring us hope. And this is a word that you see a lot of times. I've got a house in our neighborhood that's got big letters out front that just says hope. But if you've been going through the Advent, the family or individual devotionals, there was a, a devotional on day six. It was titled this, What Would Bring You Happiness? So think about that for just a moment. <coughs> what would bring you happiness in this moment. Where you set your circumstance, your situation, what would bring you happiness? If this happened or you had this or you did not have this, what would bring 
you happiness. In this devotional, it talked about a man named Tom Bodette. Remember Tom Bodette? He was the voice of the hotel or Motel 6 commercials where they'll leave the light on for you. Tom Bodette was asked the question is, what would bring true happiness? And he said there's three things that must happen in order for someone to have happiness. He said someone to love, something to do, and something to hope for. I don't know what he was really thinking of at the time he thought about that, but think about why Jesus came. He came because he loves you. He came to call you to a life of faith and love, and he came to give you something to hope for or to hope in. So Tom Bodette was right when he said that happiness can only be found in something to hope in. What I hope you realize as a believer is it's not the amount of hope that you have that's important. What's important is what you are hoping in. Because if your hope is found in anything, is it found in, and maybe you answered in that question, if it was found in financial security, man, do you know how easily that can be lost? If your hope is found in how successful your children or my children might be, how easily that can be shattered or taken away. If our hope is found in what others might think about us or what we might achieve, that hope can easily crumble. But if our hope is placed in something or anyone other than Jesus Christ, happiness, joy will always evade you. So the prayer for this season is that you would be filled with a completeness with the only hope that will never and can never disappoint you. So I think Tom Bodette was right. You have to have someone to love, but the greatest news is you first had someone to love you. And you need something to do. But there's someone that came that did something for you. And you need something to hope in. And Jesus came to give that. So this season, may you be filled to completeness with the only hope that will never, ever disappoint you. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.